After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! It's another edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast where we examine circumstances and situations in the National Hockey League, sometimes beyond the NHL, and try to highlight important rules that... Well, Josh, I think actually most people should know, but we're often surprised that players and or broadcasters don't know the rules. I am often surprised by that, Todd. Broadcasters, I, you know, I get it. I, I wish they would know the rules a bit better just so they could help explain it to the audience. But when you have coaches that don't know the rules or even players that don't know the rules of the game that they are paid to play, it's baffling. He's Josh. I'm Todd. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast powered by Team Stripes. It's your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel if you're looking for it, and so much more. Check them out at their online store, goteamstripes.com, goteamstripes.com. To follow Josh on social media channels, Twitter and Instagram, it's at Scouting the Refs. To follow me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports. And of course, we take questions and comments the old-fashioned way too via email. Hey, ref! at scoutingtherefs.com. Among the topics on this edition of the podcast, how we're all handling COVID protocol, chatting over breakfast, which zone the foul occurs in doesn't matter, and when getting the call right goes wrong. Does that sort of sum things up? Sadly, yes, it does, because we want to get the call right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it to go wrong. Oh. Okay, we're going to save the best for last, and that's going to be worth hanging around for. But there were a few other interesting situations that occurred in games, and not necessarily in games as well, which we'll get to in a second. The off-ice officials uh, do play a role in the Columbus and Carolina game. We'll touch on that later. And we do want to update the situation currently involving a couple of NHL on-ice officials. Corey Nagy, James Tobias, the Athletics' James Vogel mentioned that they were on the sidelines due to close contact with a COVID-positive case. They both worked games that were impacted by outbreaks. And to use an overused phrase, this is out of an abundance of caution that they have not worked games for a little while. I just wanted to know, Josh, if there's any update, but I'm, I'm really thankful that everyone's trying to be as safe as possible to contain the spread. Yeah, nothing that I've heard yet. The NHL doesn't share anything publicly on the health status of the officials. So it's more or less what we hear, either reporters, word of mouth, things like that. Like you said, it doesn't mean that anybody was COVID positive. It just means that they're taking precautionary measures. And given what happened between the Sabres and Devils and, and the number of players involved, I certainly understand where they're coming from. The interesting point to me is that whatever the conditions were that affected the two linesmen, looks like the referees around those games have avoided that. But, you know, certainly you don't want the league taking any chances when it comes to the health or safety of the officials. No, we've already had well over 30 games that have been forced to be rescheduled. This is stuff that we're going to have to deal with for the balance of the season. So let's try to minimize the impact. We've got a little buffer time at the end of the regular season before the playoffs are scheduled to begin. So we just hope that it, it all gets in. We hope that the, the vaccine rollout continues to move along smoothly. We seem to be going in the right direction with the number of cases. So I, I think these are all good signs and positive signs moving forward. Absolutely. And, and reassuring that the NHL is 
taking precautionary steps, but not at this point looking at canceling the season. I think we'd all love to see hockey keep going and whatever measures we need to take to ensure that. I, I think they're doing as much as they can. So uh, let's let's hope it doesn't become a bigger issue than it already is across the National Hockey League. Of course, the protocols have caused everyone to change their routines a little bit, sometimes enormously. There's a nice piece that Stephen Wino of the Associated Press has written, and it illustrates a few things that are working a little bit differently now with teams and officials and how their structure in terms of the, the scheduling goes. First of all, teams are playing multiple days against one another. In fact, there's a series of seven games that is going to go on. It's almost like a playoff series, except I'm pretty sure they won't shake hands after the end of it. But the, the piece that Stephen Wino wrote is really a good illustration of how the relationships and communication between players and officials develops. It's developing a little differently now because they're spending time together away from the rink, which was almost unheard of. Yeah, it's almost a throwback to the old days. You know, the game would end the guys would go to the local watering hole and you'd have players from both teams show up sometimes and you'd have the officials possibly there and, and they they could have those casual conversations and, and talk outside of game situations. So you've got that again, only it's in effectively abandoned hotels where the only <laughs> occupants are the visiting players and the NHL officials who are in town. So uh, interesting to see that, you know, you're crossing paths more with these guys. So you're seeing them there, obviously travels all separate, but then you're seeing them at the game night after night after night, or even if it's a nearby city, maybe you saw them with a, a different matchup a couple days earlier. So you've got that ongoing relationship that actually builds a little bit more. It's interesting. We spoke about it quite a long time ago, Todd, about the possibility, you know, do you have officials work an entire playoff series? And mm -hmm. we're kind of seeing that to a certain extent because you do have them in town for maybe three games, four games. It'll be interesting to see if they work the entire seven. I'm, I'm thinking they'll switch out the officials after a few there. But yeah, you do get that that familiarity where you get to know the guys a little bit better. And and maybe that makes some players on their better behavior. This is true. I hadn't thought of that. It's, in fact, one of the one of the players in the article mentioned, I don't want to give it all away because I do want people to check it out, is they mentioned that, well, you hear everything now, so maybe you don't want to chirp quite as much because <laughs> you could really get dinged for stuff. Right. Yeah. The, the officials will remember what they heard last game. <laughs> okay. Let's get on to some situations in games now and discipline from the Department of Player Safety. Sharks forward, Radim Simak is $5,000 lighter in the wallet and he absolutely should be he used his stick as a harpoon on ducks forward adam henrique two were in front of the net battling things get heated the two ended up getting roughing penalties the official was in the corner and didn't see the real jousting move but this is another one a kind of circumstance that we've talked about previously it is not a hockey play now five thousand dollar fine is pretty good but i i'm okay with if this happens as a first offense, you're you're getting a game and it goes up from there. I agree. And, and I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why the rule book actually supports that line of thinking, Todd. Let's oh. say we've got a high stick infraction. Maybe you get a minor. Maybe you get a double minor. But it can be suspendable for multiple games. Same thing for cross-checking. You might get a minor penalty. You, you may get situations where you've got a major penalty that results in a suspension. But we have seen suspensions for minor penalties. Now... When it comes to spearing, you get a double minor if you miss. You get a major penalty if you make contact, and you get a match penalty if you injure an opponent. So you can see the penalty stakes are much higher, and I think the disciplinary measures should be as well. So 
if just spearing and making contact with somebody gets you a major penalty, then I think player safety should be looking at this as if we're suspending someone for that act, it should be at least a game. 100%. Oh, I like it when we get backed up by the rule book. That's not, it doesn't happen very often, does it? <laughs> That's no, good. We need consistency there. But yeah, this is one of those situations where I think because of how escalated the penalties get just for committing the act, there's an opportunity for player safety to take the same approach with suspensions. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast powered by Team Stripes. Check them out online. GoTeamStripes.com for all your officiating equipment and training tools. Okay, a few other things. Adam Larson of the Edmonton Oilers got dinged with a puck over glass penalty, but it wasn't the kind we normally see. It wasn't in the defensive zone, and he did not shoot the puck over the glass. However, it is still a penalty for puck over glass, and this is one of the areas that confused the broadcasters in the game. It did. They were so focused on where the infraction occurred that they missed that it was actually a different rule that came into play in this situation. They saw that Larson was in the neutral zone. They saw he hit the puck out of play and were losing their minds that this penalty took place in the neutral zone. So uh, you can hear them railing on the officials thinking that they blew the player's location, which understandably, if, if that was the case, this was a huge miss. I mean, he was clearly in the neutral zone. The problem is that's not the rule that they were looking at. It still is under Rule 63, but there's a different subsection, subsection 2, that says any player who deliberately bats the puck outside the playing area from anywhere on the ice gets a minor penalty. And in this case, that's what the officials, even after discussion, agreed upon, that Larson intentionally batted the puck out of play. So minor penalty, regardless of which zone it happens in. So you're saying players cannot use the puck as a volleyball? If you do, maybe keep it on the playing surface. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true, because players will smack the puck around and, and try to bat it towards opponents. Of course, if you do that in the neutral zone it, it's or the offensive zone, it's a hand pass. Again, in the defensive zone, it's okay. Right, and that's something that the officials are keyed in on, right? So that's when they're watching him bat the puck with his hand, it's going to be critical for them to catch where the puck goes next. Does it go to an opposing player? Does he play it? Or does it go to a teammate? And they'll be assessing, am I blowing it down for a hand pass or what's happening in this situation? In this case, going right over the glass as they're watching it go, they're looking at it and interpreting that it is a deliberately batting the puck out of play situation. Therefore, minor penalty. Something else that we have not seen much of this season, maybe it's just me, but I have not seen a lot of this in the games that I'm watching, are goaltender interference calls. In the Hawks-Stars game the other night, Jamie Benn scored what would have been the 2-0 goal for Dallas over Chicago. However, the Hawks were quick to call the coach's challenge. The goal was rightfully overturned. This, to me, was a pretty easy one. In fact, if all goaltender interference calls were this simple, no one would be complaining about this kind of rule. No, this one was obvious to me, and it was only, I think, a challenge because of the official's positioning. So we've got a situation where Ben's in the right spot. He's not in the crease, but when he loses his balance a little bit, he brings the stick down, shoves the goaltender across the crease, clears some space for himself, and, and that set him up perfectly to get the puck in. So... I know as you're watching the play, uh, if you look at the replays, you'll see that the official is in the far corner. So he's got the goaltender blocking his view of Ben. So maybe he doesn't see exactly what went on. But the replay clearly showed that while Ben stayed out of the crease, the actions on the play affected the player in the crease. And as the NHL put it, they uh, prevented him from playing his position, making the save. So therefore, the goal gets wiped off the board. And to me, that was an open and shut. Not, not much room for debate on that play, Todd. 
Yeah, shoving the goaltender out of the way to score the goal, I think, is pretty is pretty <laughs> cut and dried, don't you? So, yes. The other there's another rule that caused confusion too, and this one had to do with. We'll get to the other Carolina Columbus thing in a second, but but this one has to do with a penalty shot awarded to Cam Atkinson, and there was some confusion by not just the the fans or the broadcasters, but the players participating in the game. Yeah, that one was a lot of fun. So yeah, we got it all over as far as not necessarily knowing the rules. So from Atkinson's standpoint, he breaks up a play shorthanded, looks like he's in the clear, gets tripped up, called for the penalty shot and scores. After the game, though, Atkinson seemed a little puzzled. He said, uh, and I quote, I guess they changed the rule where now it's the far blue line and it looks like you have a clean breakaway. It's a penalty shot. I didn't know that. All right. Fine. We'll we'll give Atkinson a pass there. He Mm -hmm. joined the league in 2008, and that rule was changed back in 2007. So this rule has been on the books for his entire National Hockey League career. I see. Okay. And then we get Rod Brindamore, the opposing coach. I've never seen that, said Brindamore. A penalty shot called from the blue line. I guess that's the rule now. I'm not sure. Again, rule change went in in 2007. Brindamore retired in 2010, so he actually played in the league for three seasons with that rule in effect. As far as guys not being up on the rule book, I, I think we've got to do some studying, folks. This is another example of the, the summer refresher thing that we talked about a few weeks ago. We were talking that they were doing this quiz with NHL referees about rules and linesmen about rules. Maybe they should do this for the players as well to help them come back. You'd think they'd want to. I mean, as a, as a coach or <laughs> as anyone running a team, I, I think I'd want my guys to know the rules of the game that they're being paid millions of dollars to play. I would think it's pretty important to say, hey, I know when a penalty shot can be called or I know what goaltender interference is. And I know people are going to jump all over that and say the rule book's not clear on it. But you can debate the merits of the rules. You can argue the rule book, but at least know what's written. <laughs> Yes, and this, of course, leads us perfectly into the other Columbus Blue Jackets and Carolina Hurricanes situation on Super Bowl Sunday. Congratulations, Bucks. Okay, it's a tie game late in the second period. Power play goal is scored by Vincent Trocek and puts the Hurricanes on top. And the goal was challenged by Jackets head coach John Tortorella. The linesman looked at the play. They upheld the call that the play was onside and the goal was allowed to stand. However, that was not the end of it. The Situation Room, I guess, reviewed the review, and upon further review, there was another camera angle that the on-ice officials were not given and showed that the play was offside. As you can imagine, this made for a very uncomfortable between-periods conversation between the officials and the Columbus Blue Jackets team. The remainder of the penalty to Columbus was wiped out, and here's where I'm going to stop first of all. The goal was allowed to stand. And this was correct according to the rule book. Am I right, Josh? You are based on the precedent of of what's in the rule book. So we've never been able to go back after a stoppage in play and remove a goal. We've seen plenty of situations where a goal is unnoticed or the puck crossed the line and, and the team's played on. Now, at that next stoppage of play, the league reviews the situation They can award the goal if the puck did, in fact, cross the line. And if so, they wind the clock back to when that happened. That's during continuous play that comes at a stoppage. Once play has stopped and then restarts, your opportunity has passed. There's no longer an opportunity to go back and wipe that goal off the board because play has resumed. So that's what the league was talking about when it came to precedent around why they couldn't go back 
and strike the goal in this situation. Now, it seems that it's probably against the rules to wipe out a penalty that's only been half served too. So I, I, I understand you can't take the goal away, but you did kind of erase the line a little bit by wiping out half the penalty. Yeah, and uh, to me, that's the, that's the strange part of it. Uh, there's yeah. nothing in the rule book that says you can wipe out a penalty. There's nothing that says you can't. I think the league was trying to make an effort to get it right. I would Fair. say in the past, and if this were a different situation, if it were in the third period or maybe there were no more intermissions left, something like that, they wouldn't have that chance to do that. And we would see, as we'd seen in incidents in the past, the league might admit after the game, hey, we missed this call. We weren't able to see it on a replay. The officials missed it. They might apologize for it. They might give an explanation. But typically, they're not actually changing the game. It's it's bad call, wrong call, move on. You know, we don't want to get in a spot where every penalty call or every non-call gets a replay to say, well, you, you know, you missed that high stick in the first period. So let's go back and replay the past 43 minutes and see if we can we can get it right this time. So while there's no precedent to do it, I think it was the league trying to fix what was wronged here. To me, Todd, the, the worst part about it is the whole thing happened because a video operator didn't have his mic on mute and said, oh, that's a goal. And the linesman, since the current procedure is for the situation room to make that final determination. Now, they consult with the linesman, but it's ultimately the situation room's call. So when the linesman here oh, it's a goal, and they think that's coming from the Situation Room, who may have already been looking at this play before they even got the headsets on. Well, that tells them that it's a goal. Situation Room has seen it. It's their decision anyway, so let's go tell the refs. And when that happened here and they, they relayed the incorrect message, there was no way for the Situation Room to get them back on the horn. So I, I think as far as that goes, we, we will see some changes in how Toronto can communicate with the guys at ice level. I think that's what we can gain from this is there are there's obviously or there was in, in this case a flaw in the procedures. How do we prevent this from happening again? Whenever you implement a new rule, they always discuss the, the consequences that you haven't thought of. They try all all angles to approach things when you're putting in new, new rules or amending rules. But there are going to be circumstances which you can imagine and can't think of. So you're going to have to navigate from them. I am glad that the clarification has found that the linesman did their job properly. They listened and it was it was a problem that came from the office in Toronto that said they were to allow this goal to continue. And that was the issue. It wasn't the guys on the ice that had done something wrong because they are so quick to point out mistakes that I'm glad this is at least determined where the issue came from and now how to re-resolve it. Do you keep in constant communication? Because I, I understand there was a difficulty reconnecting with the officials on the game site. That was the real problem. And I, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I can bet that there's a full review going on. Uh, I'm sure. And sadly, the solutions could be pretty inexpensive from a cost standpoint you've got because of covid protocol the officials get the headset the attendant has to clean it before anybody else is allowed to use it so you've got 30 seconds where no one has the headset on to communicate with toronto you would think maybe a, a landline phone there a hard phone they could pick up for emergencies or a signaling device or a cell phone or something you here's know, my text <laughs> right any of the above <laughs> might have been a, another way to do it i also didn't learn until now that toronto has to signal that off-ice official to sound the horn. So when we do see goals that are missed and they send the 
the notice down to sound the horn there was a goal, that it's coming from the off-ice official there and that Toronto doesn't have the means to directly do it. So maybe that's something the league looks at. I'm hoping we don't go so far as to give the officials direct headsets to communicate with Toronto during the game. I'm, I'm sure that's a possibility. I know some leagues in Europe have tested that out. I, I don't know if that's how far we want to go, but I think communication can be improved here. And even getting the officials' mics to work is always an opportunity. Well, there you go. That's that's perhaps the best example of maybe we've got some work to do in this particular area. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there's there's room here. And the good thing, I mean, I don't want to say it's a good thing because if you've just lost a game because of a goal that the league told you shouldn't have counted in the first place, it's it's frustrating. But let's get it straightened out. There are growing pains. There are our COVID procedure pains that we've got, and it's an opportunity for the league to address it. The procedural part that involves the on-ice officials worked as planned. It's that communication back-end side that was the issue here. So something that I would expect the league can iron out, and we don't see this again. As we've always said, communication and a working rhythm is very important. I'm sure that they'll look at this and we'll be better moving forward. And hopefully, this hasn't happened before. It never happens again. The Scouting the Rest podcast is powered by Team Stripes, your source for officiating equipment, training tools, apparel, and more. Check it out. GoTeamStripes.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Scouting the Refs podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Scouting the Refs, Instagram at Scouting the Refs, and visit ScoutingTheRefs.com.